hell is seeing who you could have been and comparing yourself to who you've become? I would venture to say that if you don't learn your lesson, you're going to be in hell. Divine intervention is either everything or nothing. People don't have ideas. Ideas have people. That idea that we stand in the way of who we could become and our short-term choices jeopardize that. That's a very important lesson. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, Mr. Nash. What's so, up, Tyler? You did, um, you did an episode, and I think you may have talked about this once or twice, but you said, I don't remember who it was with, but you said um, there's an idea that a soul is, is shown its path. I, you were talking about um, when you confronted your abuser, and I think this is where this stemmed mm-hmm. from, that uh, a soul is shown its path, and it's shown... I'm paraphrasing and correct me where I'm, where I'm wrong. Um, shown the sins it's supposed to commit, the life it's supposed to lead, what it's supposed to do to other people, for other people. And the soul has to accept. And if it doesn't accept, then it doesn't make a journey to earth. And I was thinking about that. And that makes me wonder what that does to the concept of hell. Like right? why would someone go to hell if they've... No, how could... Well, yes. yes. Why or how? If, if they've it... chosen this path. Correct. So if they're already chosen, if they've chosen the path and accepted to it, and God has seen the path, God knows the path, and He knows you've accepted to it, right? So then, how could somebody be sent to, to hell? Okay. So there's kind of two different conversations there. So let me explain what I'm saying because this is not exactly the divine intervention versus free will or divine knowledge versus free will. That's a separate conversation. A lot of philosophers have wrestled with that. Um, for a long time, I'd prefer to take it to the specific question, right? Which is, what what does it mean when we say that a soul acknowledges or accepts certain things before it enters the world? Or how do I understand that? Because right. what I was sharing with, I was sharing that this thought has brought me a tremendous amount of peace. That if I'm confronting something, then it's, hey, my soul signed up to this before I came into the world, and it was shown, do you or don't you want to? So there was a, a sense of peace that I had from this idea, and on a conversation with Y.Y. Jacobson, he shared that um, there's a, for some reason I remember the the rabbi and the book that he, or, or the portion that he quoted, he said that there's Rabbeinu Bachaya, which is a very famous um, Jewish philosopher. He wrote a lot of important books, and he says on a certain section of the Torah called Kisisa, he shares this idea. Why would Jacobson shared it with me on the podcast about porn addiction? That before a soul comes into the world, it's seen its challenges and only if it accepts it. So the way I understand it today and the comfort that I have from it is it a soul doesn't necessarily choose the way it's going to learn a lesson. It chooses that it's going to learn a lesson. Okay. And it's go or it's, it chooses that I am going to become this thing. So I'm trying to think, is there, has, have you felt like there's maybe in your life there is something that took you a few times? Like this was an important lesson and it took a little bit of while, it took a little while before you learned this lesson. And it's even more than learning lessons, we become the lesson. Right, it's embodying. Right. I guess without going into too much detail, there were um, things that I picked up from my parents um, that I used to partake in, um, alcohol specifically. Um, and I guess I used to I used to drink when I was young. Um, I used to drink when I was real young. Probably started 15 or 16. Um, and it took me getting... It took me several years to step back. And it, it, it was becoming a real serious problem really quickly. Um, and, and when I say really quickly, I mean in the span of, you know, two or three years. Obviously not a couple months, mm-hmm. but over two or three years, like it became a real issue. Um, and it took a couple times of me really doing something stupid or that could have really jeopardized my future 
to step back and say, wait a minute, this isn't the path I want to be on. I don't know if that answers your question. It could. But I, it, and it took me time to step back and say, this is not anywhere near where I want to be. This is not the path I want to go down. I know, I know where this leads and I know what this becomes. So I had to step back and, um, and decide that, okay, I want to be sober because I, that, I mean, that's the person I want to be. I want to be a sober person, clear headed, clear minded, clear thinking person who doesn't put himself in these bad positions due to an external substance. Why? Because I know there's more to me than that. I know I'm capable of more. And I, it's a funny thing. You've talked about potential before, but I know my potential is greater if I don't partake in those things. Can you put some meat on that bone when you say your potential? Your potential for what? I'm not sure that I know. But what I do know is that the person that I was becoming then was not the person that I want to become for myself, for my family, for, for my fiance, my wife, who I've been with, I suppose, for 10 years. I call her my wife. She's my fiance. Um, for my daughter, for my parents, my family, for anybody. Okay, so tell me if this feels true. If you said, um, there's who I am, right? There's a person who I am, and that has value, right? That person has value. And my choices could determine how much I step into that person who has value. Meaning, independent of anything, I have value, mm -hmm. right? You're saying about yourself, I have this value. But that value won't be recognized unless I make the right choices. Correct. Okay, so right. this becomes a lesson you learned. Had you never gone down the path of drinking too much alcohol, would you have learned this? No. Well, and let's, let's um, use maybe a different example. Is um, When I started working for Pat, uh, mm -hmm. I was very much... Uh, opining on the show, you know, uh, following the news, following politics, like using my brain a lot, like, mm -hmm. which I suppose maybe is a funny thing, but really having to be quick on my feet and uh, exceptional in, the, in that area. And exceptional may not be the right word, but what I, I wanted to be exceptional in that area. So I decided I wasn't going to use substances because that was clouding my thinking and would cloud uh, my memory and those kinds of things. So yes, yes. It, had I not, had I not had that specific experience, I probably would have never stopped using uh, alcohol or cannabis before. Okay, so those, what was the reason to use them before? Meaning when you're sitting there the night before and you're saying, I want to smoke cannabis, and then there's a thought, hey, but I'm going to be on a show with Pat tomorrow, and I don't want my judgment to be clouded. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to show up in my full strength. Right. What was the drive? I understand the drive not to smoke the cannabis. Right. It's because I want to show up as right. my most powerful self tomorrow my most exceptional self tomorrow, what's the reason to do the cannabis? To escape, maybe? I know, I know alcohol. I know just, right, that's the higher level reason. I mean it in the sense of, why do you want to drink water because I'm thirsty? Right. Not in these subconscious desires right. of water representing, you know, right. your mother's womb. I'm saying, so instead of saying to escape, right, which could be true on some level, but if I ask you then, why did you want to smoke? What's the, what's the reason that anyone can understand? Because I, d I didn't have a reason not to. What was the reason to? What did you feel from it? I just um, maybe if I was angry, you know, if I was frustrated at something or in a bad mood or, you know, short temper issues or something like that, that would be a quick way to flip my mood right around and I okay. wasn't, wasn't upset anymore. Wasn't so I want to improve anymore. my mood in the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's not a bad thing, right? Right. <laughs> well, on his face, it's, yeah, not, yeah, it's not a bad thing, but, but higher level order is that tomorrow I'm sharp and then I'm at my full strength. Right. It's not worth it for me to get this momentary mood, mood change right. in an easy way and then sacrifice who I am tomorrow. Right. Right. So these become very powerful lessons about life that help us, in much more than um, choosing whether or not to take substances. This idea that I have a certain value, B, my choices determine how much of that value I step into. And there are short-term choices that can give, give me temporary benefit that can really derail that train. 
Right. These are super important lessons to learn. Right. And then they can become very important in things that are much more subtle than alcohol. Much, much more subtle than alcohol. Maybe years later, uh, do I go to the gym in the morning when I'm feeling tired? Right. Or do I, you know, take that extra course to learn that additional skill set? There's no negative consequence, but there's the potential for positivity right. that you can get. You know, the difference between avoiding pain and seeking pleasure, seeking opportunity or possibility. There's that idea that we stand in the way of who we could become and our short-term choices jeopardize that. That's a very important lesson for us to know and can really change the way we show up in the world and can have dramatic. Right. Right. So when I'm saying that um, your soul or my soul committed to learning a certain lesson, I don't mean necessarily that it said, okay, for three years, I'm going to drink way too much alcohol. And then after I stop that, I'm going to smoke way too much cannabis. And I'm going to have to deal with all the pain of that. That's all I mean. What I mean is, is that your soul or my soul commits to becoming this lesson of let's put down short-term, short-term gain in exchange for longer-term possibility so that I can step into who I am. And then I'm committed to learn this lesson. And then we say, okay, permission for this universe to do whatever you need to do to teach me this lesson. That's what I'm saying. And when lesson is the wrong word. Permission to the universe to do whatever is necessary to make me become the person who embodies this. And then you may not even communicate this verbally to your daughter, but possibly years later, she will have just learned this from you, watching the way you operate every single day. And she won't even notice that she's, she has this lesson. She just is because it's the only thing she's known. She's, right. you know, she's in the water of this lesson. Right. It, just, it just is. I'm thinking of um, maybe an example for me that will help you uh, understand this. So shame is a concept I talk a lot about. Right. So what I've noticed is, is that there's a tendency we all have to hide parts of ourselves in the name of connection, but it creates disconnection. And now it does it create disconnection, it erodes us in some way. So if I have a secret that I'm holding on to, um, if I have a secret that I'm holding on to, and not necessarily do I have to speak it always in a microphone, but maybe there's a little thing between me and my wife. And I'm holding on to that. That's going to create a disconnection between us. And it's going to leave a toxicity, a little poison inside me that has the potential to run rampant through my system and create massive, massive, massive harmful consequences. Okay. If I don't tell you this, you know from watching me, from being around me, that I believe this. Right. I embody this fully. How? Because I lived with secrets for so long that I know the toxicity of secrets so freaking well. I've seen it, I've lived it, and I've gotten to the other side of it, right? So imagine, and when I say I've gotten to the other side of it, in some way, I'm sure I'll have to repeat this lesson in different ways, hopefully for, hopefully not for as long and as intense each time. But being reminded of, being repeatedly reminded of the negative consequences, the extreme toxicity of secrets is something that my soul has probably agreed to um, learn Mm -hmm. so that I become a person who does the opposite, resonates the opposite with or without me communicating this to you. It probably wouldn't surprise you and it wouldn't surprise me if I was to learn that going through generations in my family lineage, there was a culture of secrecy and they can come in the smallest of ways. This is mom's area this is dad's area we don't like this call is private right all sorts of things that i don't tell you my age i don't tell you my whatever right we all have these 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 little things and obviously the bigger secrets inside us and then well and once you once you get comfortable with the little ones the bigger ones become much easier to to keep from people right as a culture of secrecy and my kids probably not even knowing that that's a reality. And just living in an environment where, you know, 
these things are spoken about in, in general, right? Having conversations. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That are open and there aren't these, there aren't these secrets. In other words, I've agreed to become this lesson and become this that it will be communicated without me ever communicating it verbally. Right. So I didn't say it, I didn't learn it, I, I became it. I really want to focus on this. We become something and then it just it just is. Right. right? So Let's assume for these purposes that your soul has agreed um, before it came down that I am giving permission to the world to teach me this lesson that I am valuable and that my choices will impact how much of that I will be able to create in the world. And that's what, because when you really step into that, then you just start resonating that in the whole world, your whole world, everyone who's in contact with you is learning this lesson from you. And, and and I and for these purposes, I'm saying that perhaps my soul agreed to before it entered the world to really learn and embody the lesson of the toxicity of secrets, and really understand this so that I can communicate this to others. So now, once I come into the world, you come into the world, then its permission has been granted to do whatever is necessary to teach me this lesson. That's what I'm saying. Permission has been granted, and then. It can start with a first grade teacher mentioning it. And I may hear it, I may not. Right. And then later on in the book, I see something and I feel something. And do I do something? Do I not? And eventually, I either jump on the train or don't jump on the train. And if I don't, then the world's kind of last way of teaching something is extreme suffering, I guess. So then we have extreme suffering over this issue until we learn this lesson. And that's all, that's all I mean, meaning so that there is plenty of choice. The choice is at which point in time will I learn the lesson, become the lesson? Right. Or will the world have to go through more? And if I don't get it in this lifetime, then I'll get it in hell. And it will teach me the lesson there, and that could be pretty uncomfortable. Right. So I guess it depends if whether or not you want to really extend this out farther, but do you think that's where the idea of potential comes from? Because you know most people, I would imagine everybody knows when they're not reaching their potential. You can feel it. Yes. Right? You may not be able to articulate it, but you feel it. Right? And you mm -hmm. know. You're like, ah, I'm, I'm better than this. And that doesn't mean that maybe you're destined to be a millionaire or whatever, right? It just it, it means you know deep in your heart that you're better than where you are now. Right? Yes. You're capable of more than, than where you are now. Do you think that's where that comes from? That you know deep inside you're supposed to learn something or uh, embody something that you're not embodying? I saw this meme. It said it was a picture of a, a guy standing next to this like big, massive statue. And a little man, not a regular-sized guy, standing next to this big statue looking up at it. And it said... Hell is seeing who you could have been and comparing it yourself to who you've become. So maybe, yeah, maybe there is always some sense of I can be more. I can be more. And meaning for, if, if people are, if people could be, they always could be more. But if they're really, if there's a real, real massive divide there, then feeling that and that knowing at them, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It It's and it it does make perfect sense because there would be no other reason for you to feel that, right? There's no there's no uh, evolutionary reason or like nothing explains why you would feel that way. A sense of emptiness or maybe a light anxiety or maybe a big right, anxiety. Right, right. Like and even just the feeling that I could be better, right? Because better compared to what? How do you know? Hundred percent. Like, how could you possibly know what better is for you? Hundred percent. We did a podcast. This was before, uh, before your time. It was called analyzing analyzing anxiety uh -huh. with Rabbi Shays Taub and Mike Rosenfeld, Coach Mike Rosenfeld. And 
on it, Chase compared. We spoke a lot about anxiety, and Mike is someone that I'd uh, worked with, an anxiety, a breathwork coach. Uh, I worked with him for several years. And so we're talking about that concept. And obviously, we spoke about it, you know, at length in the psychological and the physical terms. I spoke a lot about it in the sense of um, identity and how identity crisis can often lead to a sense of anxiety. Whatever, for those who want to listen, can can hop onto that um, podcast. It's not on the YouTube version, but on the Spotify or the audio only, it's there. And um, Shay said something really interesting where he said that these emotions, both positive and negative emotions, are actually angels. And they're communicating to us. And when we feel joy, it's saying, hey, do more of that. Mm-hmm. And joy is not the same as pleasure. Right. right. We can eat a chocolate cake and we can feel pleasure. But two hours later, you're not feeling that sense of do more of that. Right. Right. <laughs> but maybe after we did our first conversation here, maybe going into that day and the next day, you felt a sense of, oh, hey, that was cool. And that's, according to the way Chase was explaining it, those are angels communicating to you and say, do more of that. And then anxiety is the opposite. Or other negative emotions is angels coming and saying, hey, less of that, less of that, less of that, or whatever is going on here, right. shift it, change it, move it. And that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting, um, I guess that dovetails well with what you were saying, that this knowing sensation that we sometimes have inside us that we're not where we could be is is something that on a deep level is communicating a truth. Right. You know, and it's like, um, I, I'll, I'll quote or reference Dr. Jordan Peterson for decades to come, I'm sure. But, you know, he always says, like, how could you possibly know? Like, let's say I want to be a better me. Well, who's to say what a better you is? You have no idea what a better you is. Somebody does. It's not you. And I think Chase is spot on with that, that there is, there's a, there's, there's a reason that you're getting that gnawing feeling because something is telling you. Angels, uh, I think, would be a, quite a good explanation mm-hmm. for that, right? That that you've got to step out of your funk or, you know, uh, this comfortable state you're in and go find a way to, to be the better you and just continuously grow to that better you and listen to the joy, right? Or the, the um, as you said, I think, um, with mislabeled, like, listen to your anxieties, right? There's a reason they're there. Don't just medicate oh, them away. Yes. Listen to them, right? Because to learn. Yeah, they're, teachers, yeah. They're trying to tell you something. Anxiety right? is a teacher. And what that may be is very likely, or not very likely, but very possibly divine intervention. Maybe divine is, intervention isn't the yeah, word. On, but, no, on some level, we'd have to say everything is divine intervention. Right. Like If it's, either it is or it isn't. Meaning, we all know the analogy of someone who who missed their car and, you know, um, a plane crash happened, right? It's, right? I don't know how many times it's happened, but people talk about this all the time. Right. That a missed car can lead to someone missing a flight. Well, can a missed car lead to a couple end up meeting, getting married and having family? Right. Can a missed car not affect you in any knowledgeable way, but affect the driver who missed? So right. what is big and what is small? How are we supposed to know? Right. So divine intervention is either everything or nothing. Right. It doesn't. Right. It wouldn't and, make any sense to, oh, divine got involved in this one. Right. 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 This is big. Big for who? And that's such a mm-hmm. good point. Like it may be, may be small for you, but it could be massive for somebody else. Yeah. It could be the biggest thing to ever happen to another person in their entire life. Right. Or generations later, it can have some impact. Right. right. If you if you looked at anything in your life that you can feel tremendous gratitude for. doesn't matter what it is. It could be your child. It could be your job for all I know. It could be anything, right, that you feel. Maybe it could be living in Miami. You have tremendous gratitude. And then try piecing together exactly what had to happen for you to make the trip from San Antonio to Miami. Who did you have to meet? Who did you have to know? What conversations had to happen? I think, let's say me moving to Miami as an example. When I was 17 or 18, I was at a home, um, a Shabbos table, I, I think a Saturday lunch, and the couple we were eating at, the family we were eating at, had gone to Miami uh, the week before for vacation. And I was eating at their home, and they mentioned that they had saw, seen this program 
um, for after students finished this rabbinical college, it was a small program with like 10 students. They had mentioned it. My ears perked up, and I said, hey, maybe I'll apply to that. And then next thing I know, I'm living here and creating this life and all the people that I met in Miami and everything else. Is, was, was that a small conversation? Was that vacation random? Was me eating at their house and all the things that had to happen? And how did I get to Canada in the first place? You can keep doing this forever, forever. But we can look at anything that we have tremendous gratitude for in our life and say, what were the steps that had to happen for that to be in here? And say, and so many of them are tiny, micro, 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 micro steps for that to happen. And then some of them we don't even know, you know. You can keep going back. How did this couple meet? And how did they get this house? And how did was it next to the school? And this school purchased the land here. I mean, there's so many different factors that came together for right. me just being in Miami. And is that not all divine intervention? In other words, if we're already ascribing divine intervention to certain things, we kind of have to ascribe it to everything. If you don't believe, you don't believe. So then that's right. That's no, cool. I, I guess this is, and you, you and I had spoken briefly before this about, you know, topics to cover and whatever, but this kind of ties into, um, I mentioned earlier, like, how do you know? So, okay. So either everything's divine intervention or nothing is. And I agree with that. Like a hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, but how do you know when you're doing the right thing? And we mentioned, if you feel joy, keep doing that. If you feel anxiety, keep doing that. But like an example I thought of was, let's say that, um, you know, you're trying to start a business venture, right? And you just keep barely missing meetings or just like keep missing things just by this much. And it just keeps not working out, right? So you decide that you're not going to pursue it because it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. Well, how do you know if that's you quitting or if that's you following your predetermined path? Does that make sense? Yeah, is, no, is I it understand. because is it are you should you go on that intuition and that hunch that okay, I feel like this isn't the right thing, so maybe I should just listen to it? I, I think part of the game is is not knowing the the ending. Meaning we or not knowing the steps. The, the mystery of it. For example, of. if let's say like there's a part of it when you're in the confusion that you feel like, I just want to know. I just want to know. Will I get the job? Will I get the deal? Will, will it close? Will I get the girl? Like, what's going to happen here? And if you were given the choice to really know where your life ended up, if I somehow knew, and I, I can tell you exactly. Got my magic eight ball here. Yeah, yeah. I can tell everything. you where you'll be at exactly. at 95. Yeah, and everything that will happen between now and then. All major life events, let's right. say, will happen between how many kids you're going to have, what jobs you're going to have, how much money you're going to have, what your biggest challenges, what your biggest successes are going to be. Do you want to know, yes or no? What's the saying? Uh, it's not the destination, is the journey. Right. Yeah. And if we have the knowledge of all of it, is the journey much fun? Well, I guess I I see your point, but I would ask you, does it still all work out in the end? What's the end? <laughs> That's a good question. Oh, what's the end? But I mean, let's put it in um I guess black and white terms. Like did I did I meet the expectations that were set out for me? In this lifetime? Yeah. Right, those are the questions, but is that the end? Or maybe this is just one class. And that goes back to the idea that... Um, yeah, and if it's a good class, we'll probably get some and miss some, right? If you can, right. If you get 100, it probably wasn't a very uh, challenging... Right, <laughs> right. No, I think that's a good point. Um, what is the end? It's, I suppose it's, it's a good question, right? Like if, and it's like you said, I think you've said before, if, if you don't get the lesson you're supposed to learn in this lifetime, you'll learn it in hell. Well, maybe... Maybe you just have to come back and learn it again. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and maybe those are the... And maybe you keep doing it Maybe that's a choice. Lesson. Right, maybe that's the choice. Maybe that, maybe that keeps happening. Right. And may, you know, maybe there's um, the story of... You've heard the story of the fallen angels. You've heard of this? I think it was in the time of Noah, right? So be leading up to the... Uh, leading up to... No, obviously the world was fairly depraved. And... 
You know what's interesting? Like biblically, whenever it talks about like the world being depraved, it talks a lot about like a sexual promiscuity, like just going off the wall sexually. What so you, I, it's funny you say that. that. Right before all the greatest civilizations have fell, it's the exact same thing. Like uh, Rome, uh, Greece, Egypt is all sexual promiscuity. Uh, gender becomes super uh, intertwined into things. Like it's all related to sexuality. You watch the sexual, I don't want to say explosion, but depravity and the civilizations fall. So you, are you uh, prophesizing something? <laughs> I hope not. I've heard this argument before, and that's I don't want to go down that road, but it's just interesting you said that. But um, Right, it can certainly turn. In any case, so um, there are angels who are watching this, You're watching humans act in this depraved way, and you know they go to God or to the archangel or whatever and say, hey, send us in. You know, send me in, coach. I got this. Which is okay. And uh, they send these angels in. I think they were giants or something like that when they came to the earth, they were human giants in the biblical story. And once they became in human form, they fell too, and they caved to, uh, to, to sexual promiscuity and sexual depravity and whatever else. My point is, is that maybe the soul has one lesson that it needs to learn. Maybe it's all about one lesson. And there's you know, a bunch of lessons along the way that we, that we need to learn. And if we don't get it in one lifetime, Say, okay, do you want to you try again? And some say no. Right. And some say yeah. And they keep and they keep trying, like, damn, I missed it last time, but let me see if I can get it this time. Right. You know? And I don't know, maybe that's what the world is, is a, a master class for the soul. <laughs> I like the way you know? that. Well, I guess back to where we first started with this, what is hell? I, I would venture to say that if you don't learn your lesson you're going to be in hell, right? Like, not, I don't mean, like, hell as we understand it, biblically. I mean, you will be most likely living through hell. For example, if I had stayed on my path, I'd be in hell, or my own version of it, right? Right. I've, I've found certain things, for example, I mean, let's, let's bring up plant medicine, right? So let's bring it up. We talk for, about plant medicine on this we, show. Yeah, dude, because, you know, as... um. Daniel Resnick, who we've had a um, few times on the podcast, and he has his awesome podcast, Getting Out of the Way, Psychedelic Integration Podcast. So one of the things he says about, he says, as within, so without, as in the microcosm, so in the macrocosm. Mm -hmm. Meaning, and, you know, you have the ceremony, the ceremony of life. Right. Right. There's life is uh, all one big ceremony. So then we have these mini ceremonies where for four or five or six hours, we get to experience that, right? For those who are in plant medicine, journeys and you know in that world i think my words will make sense to them and what sometimes seems to happen in these in these journeys and if this happens in the microcosm microcosm being the six hour journey then does it happen too in the macrocosm of life so sometimes what happens in the journey is if it feels like there's this lesson coming our way and we resist it heavily no it can't be i can't be that i can't do that that this the thought, the memory. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to see this person in that way. Could be a number of different things that are coming our way. Some realities, some memories, some thoughts, and we fight it. We don't breathe. Right. We vomit. Which to me, what I see vomiting as is there's something that wants to leave us and we're not willing to do it. We're holding it back. So it's like, okay, I'm going to forcefully expel it from you. But if you're willing to, or if you're able to, sometimes it's not willing, if you're able to kind of move whatever this thing is out yourself, then it doesn't need to come out in this violent, aggressive way. So in this ceremony, the microcosm, the small ceremony, we often have this lesson that sometimes could be learned in three or four breaths. And I found that as I've navigated the world, the you know, what is it, inner space more. We said this Yoki Rest in the... Combo, we said psychonauts, right? Psychonauts travel the inner space. Right. Astronauts travel outer space. So as I've navigated inner space more, which plant medicine helps you to kind of see and know it exists, and then eventually you, you don't need that each time. Sometimes we forget something or the lesson's a little bit deeper and we can use a, a power tool to help excavate this one. But we don't need that each time. We can na start navigating inner space um, without it. 
but there, there seems to be this. So as I've navigated that more, I've sometimes been able to take something that was extremely difficult at first, and then in three or four breaths, seem to kind of move through it. And it's like, wow, that was tough, but here I am. Right. You know, and they can be so small, so small sometimes. I'm thinking of one, but I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. But there's, um, so in life, that same thing can happen where here comes a lesson and we can resist our whole life. Right. We can resist lesson and we fight with everyone over it. We refuse to look at that memory. We refuse to imagine they were right. We refuse to see another perspective. And it's like, all right, like we tried and you gave permission to the world to do everything possible, but what more was it supposed to do? other than take your free choice away. Which, my understanding now, is they will never do. You know, like a lot of people ask, how, did, how, how would this big rabbi, the Rebbe, maybe you've heard different people talk about it, how did the Rebbe allow these things to go on in this community? Did he not know? So maybe, right? I don't know the extent of what he knew or didn't know, but some believe he knew a lot or knew everything or... Fine, so how can that be compatible with not doing something? Is that he can know something, but he's not going to take away someone's free will. Right. So he can watch it, he can see it happening, but to go in there and say, hey, you can't do this, like to tell someone the whole story, you sometimes can't do. Right. It's like, don't take away. So don't take away someone's free will. So that's kind of one... Don't take away the journey. Yeah, it seems to be the... Um, like there are a lot of people who know a lot of things that I've known. I've watched. I, you you watch it sometimes where, you know, these healers they they seem to know what someone needs to learn. We've sat across the couch from a f few of them, and you know, like two years into working with them, I it's like you knew this, you knew that I was struggling with this. <laughs> it's like yeah, you didn't tell me. No, I knew where you had to go, but I wasn't going to take away your free choice. I wasn't going right. to make it that. That's not my job. My job was to slowly move you in that direction so you could see that, so you could learn that, so you could become that. If, if I just gave you a flashcard of it right. and showed, you the, showed it to you, and you wouldn't have become it, you would have just known it, that then we, we don't have the master class. It's like lottery winners. Why do such high numbers of lottery winners go broke? Because they're just given all this money. They have no idea what to do with it. Right. Right? And I, I like the analogy because what's the difference between a lottery winner and someone who worked for something is they've earned it. Right. So right. someone can be a billionaire who made it through their own work or they inherited it or won a lottery. And what's the difference between them? They're both billionaires. That one has earned it. Right. One so, embodies what it exactly. means to be. And it's not even just the money. It's the success and, and the confidence and the, the wisdom and everything that comes, that with. comes along with it. They've yeah. gone through the journey and the destination. The destination they all have. So that's kind of what the master class is. It's like, yeah, they can tell you. They can see it and say, hey, come on, right? The soul can know before, but no, that's not earned. That's not earned. So there's earned knowledge, there's earned wisdom, there's earned attainment, wealth, anything else, and there's unearned. And that's, I think, when we earn it, it really becomes us in a different way. Like a billionaire who's made it once, will probably do it again. Right. A lottery winner who won once will probably not win again. Right. right. Well, Did we answer the question? I was just about to ask the same thing. I, I think so. I think so. This, this originally had started out as something else for me because I didn't understand kind of what you had said. Um, I, I interpreted it more as, um, you know, the, the soul is shown every step it's going to ever take ever, like that kind of thing. Like it knows exactly the path it's supposed to go down. But that explanation of yours makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and I don't share these as I know, I don't know any of this stuff. I've, I don't know anything. I'm sharing perspectives that have brought me comfort, brought mm -hmm. me some sense of peace, freedom, liberation. That's what I'm sharing. I'm not sharing like, this is the absolute truth I know. How the hell do we know? We don't right. know anything. Right. But wouldn't I share the things that once I've felt these, it's, it's brought me a lot of peace? Meaning I can tell you that the world is coming to an end. And that's a thought and a perspective and an idea also. And as a result of this, 
I can feel intense fear. And I can really work you up. Give me all my proofs for it. Get you to feel intense fear. Then we start magnifying that. Then everyone listening to this will also feel, um, feel intense fear. None of it is true. Because it didn't happen. We're just sitting here. The world has not come to an end. Right. But we have everyone who's buying into this thought also feeling this intense fear. And here we go. And that's what we've shared with the world. And, you know, so there's someone sitting in a state of fear. And then all of this stuff that have got them to the state of fear. And then that's what they deliver to you. Here's my delivery to you so that you too can feel my blessing, my gift on you. Is all of these things that have got me worked up into the state of fear. Now you can have it too. So here what I'm sharing is... I feel a sense of peace. I still feel a sense of acceptance. Um, these ideas allow me to be much more courageous and much more bold and much more um, free right. in the world. And that's what I'm sharing. I'm not sharing them as absolute truths. And I know this is not a new religion. Right. This is just ideas that have helped me. And I hope those who are listening helped you. I hope, um, you know, this is you as well. It definitely allows me to walk through the world just a little bit lighter. It's like take it, take the world serious, but not myself so serious. It's just we don't know too much. We're learning a little. As we do, if it gives us a little bit of a better feeling that seems to last for some permanence and we start sharing it one-on-one with people and it seems to give them that, then okay, say it. Say it in this fashion. And, and if it helps more people, then, then good. But these are not absolutes. Absolutes, no. I heard that he said, and it's contradicted <laughs> something he said. Yeah, come on, man. Like, that's not what this is at all. They're just ideas and thoughts and perspectives that have helped bring me a little liberation, and I hope to share it with others as well. And if at the very least they make for good conversation. I hope so. And if not, they're not listening now anyways. Let's make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're not 40 minutes in at this uh, point. Right. Are we 40 minutes in? <laughs> we'll wrap this Maybe one up. Maybe not, but beautiful. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thank you, sir. I love it. Thanks. Let's come back. Absolutely. <laughs> we have this funny habit where we, you can't finish conversations. Or we, we finish conversations and they keep going. So and they're right. They keep going off camera. <laughs> so we bring it back in. So here we are again. I just, I, I thought of one more thing on this. And I don't know if this question matches for you. But, you know, so what I had shared was that suffering is kind of the, the last of the world's methods of, of teaching. Right? Where there's still free choice. But there's less and less coming. But there's still free choice where the person could choose to embody the lesson, learn the lesson, or you know, become this thing or not. Right. And then for me, the question was, then why would we ask for mercy? At what point would we say, God, please be merciful. Stop the suffering. This person has, has chosen to learn the lesson. The lesson is coming. He's not learning. What is, so what is mercy? What are we asking for? Just, I want to make sure I understand here that, that you, the soul signed up to learn this lesson and we said, all bets are off. Yeah. Do whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do. And we accepted that. So I mean, why we, we, we gave permission granted to do anything it takes for you to teach me this lesson, to become this person, right? to embody this idea. To become this. So why would the soul be tempted to ask for mercy if it already Not the knows? soul. We as people ask God for mercy all the time. If we see someone sick, we're not going to look at them and say, you know, well, soul signed up. <laughs> Got to get the lesson. Right? Shame on you for not getting it earlier. But no, we regularly pray for people to, if someone's uh, suffering from uh, an illness, mental illness, uh, physical illness. Do you mean, do you mean? Um, we ask God for mercy. For ourselves or for other people? Both. Or for both. Okay. Both. All time. Do you think that's? Do you think that's saying I don't? I'm not ready to learn the lesson. Right. So maybe my question is different. Is what mercy would there be in that? Right. Suppose, suppose that so someone signed up to learn a certain lesson, and then. They're not getting it despite extreme suffering. We'd obviously have to say that the lesson is worth more than the suffering for right. ourselves, right? It's a, it's a, it could be cruel to put that on someone else, but for ourselves, that we, the lesson that we chose to learn is worth more than the suffering. That's why we're willing to go through the suffering to get the eventual lesson, right? right? The pot of gold is you know, worth more than the struggle, the journey to get it. So why would we ask 
for mercy for ourselves. What are we asking God? Why would God grant us mercy? It's not mercy. There's something else, something bigger that you're losing out. So imagine someone got mercy their whole life. What would they have? They'd have none of the, they'd have none of the struggle, then they'd have a peaceful existence despite not getting the lesson. So you came in, you were here for 80, 90 years, and then what? You didn't even get the lesson? So my understanding of mercy is that it's really only asking for more time for us to be able to, because usually we can't see it. We can't see this lesson right away. And it's give us a little bit more time for us to learn it in a more gentler way. Like stop screaming. Precisely, stop screaming. Chill out. It's hurting my ears. Right? And give me a little bit more time to see if I can get this in a different in a different way. I got you. But we can't really stop the flow completely. According to this theory, I'm saying, according to this idea, I want to call it a theory. According to this idea, can't really stop the flow completely. So when we ask for mercy, we're not saying, okay, suffering ended. I don't have to go back to what that what that was to learn. It's like, no, I got mercy, and I got more time to learn this in a gentler way. And if I do, then I have this, and I have no reason for the, for the tough lessons. I guess maybe to put this to a, an example or a, put some meat on it, I suppose, would be uh, like somebody suffering from, from a heroin addiction. Right, asking for mercy from their heroin addiction. Let's say, or mercy whatever from it is. a consequence from the heroin addiction. Okay, yeah. like so. Uh, let's say they get put, they get busted, they get put yeah. in prison. They ask for mercy, they get busted, they get put. put yes, yeah, so mercy from God. Right. They've not actually learned the lesson. No, they haven't learned the lesson. Right. They've just been given, given this mercy. break. Exactly. All right. So it's gotten better. Right. Right. You're praying for this not to have a negative consequence. Okay. Right. And then Granted. you have two choices when you get out. You can either go back to where you were. Exactly. Or you can learn the lesson more gently. Exactly. So mercy is stop screaming, right. but don't stop talking. I still want to learn this. I still want to get this. I just want to see. Give me a little bit more time to see if I can get this in a gentler way before you turn the screws up all the way. But in other words, the, the thought process would be that it would have to come. The, the, meaning the thought process of mercy it wouldn't be merciful for a soul to agree to something and then not get it and not get the messages either. So I don't get the lesson and I'm not getting the messages either because that's not merciful. Merciful would have to be a delay. According to this theory, merciful can only be give me more time and see if I can get it in an easier way. And if I could, great. I can avoid the suffering and then I've been able to have this Becoming without the suffering. And if not, then at some point in time, start it up again. That's, in, that's, that's kind of incredible, right? Because who, who would ever actually step back and think about that? Because there's no, there's no way you could know. And obviously, you, we're not saying we know, but you're saying you know. But um, there's no... It's so difficult to put that to words. Meaning? Right? Meaning, so let me preface this with the idea that, that people don't have ideas, ideas have people. And mm -hmm. I think you could say the same thing about thoughts, yeah. right? But there's no way you could step back and think that mercy would mean taking a break from the screaming to learn the lesson, right? Most people would think of God grant me mercy most people would assume that means absolve me of my issues and my problems, right? That's the way I understood it for a time, yeah. I, right. I, no, I no longer think of it that way because if you look at the world in this way, if I'm going to take a much softer approach to that which comes at me, which this is not bad, this is something to, to learn, to become. Right. If I'm not getting it, then I say, okay, stop. But if I didn't get it, right? So, hey, for example, let's say someone goes through an incredibly difficult life experience. Incredibly difficult. So there's like a level eight, nine, or ten life experience that anyone would look at it and say, that was, dude, that was rough. Mm -hmm. Three years you were sick in a, a hospital, like that was a rough experience. Um, or someone arrested for a period of time, that's a rough experience, right? The public shame, the cost involved, the freedom, the loss of freedom, whatever they went through. And then they go through that experience and you don't see them as a completely changed individual. So then you're always, okay, so why did it happen? Like, what was the purpose? 
So maybe they were granted mercy. And uh, there are examples in my life that I can look at. I'm, I'm talking to someone else. I shouldn't really use that language because it's inappropriate to use for these kind of ideas. It's cruel towards others. It's kind towards, it's, it's okay towards oneself to have these ideas. Right. But it's saying, I mean, we're not looking to excuse anyone else's suffering. That's not, this is for myself, a perspective that I'm, that I'm having. So if, if I went through something and then I, it was intense and I didn't change as a result of that, I'm not a changed person on the other end, then what was the reason for that experience? Right. It just, that feels cruel to me to say, okay, you put me through that and there isn't some sort of profound change on the other side. Right. So let's say that happened and I'm not seeing a profound change from that. Like it just abated suddenly. It didn't abate after I converted into something positive. It just the pressure abated suddenly. I would have to assume that that was because I was granted a little bit of mercy in order to get this lesson in a more kind and gentle way. And that if I don't, that will come again, once again. And this whole idea just strips anything of punishment, like completely out of the equation, it has nothing to do with that. It's not like something bad is coming down the pike or something else. It's, no, we've signed up to something, we're gonna get it. If we're not, then we need a little bit more, it starts coming and then hopefully we, hopefully we get it this time. And while I acknowledge it's much easier sharing these perspectives while I'm sharing them, sitting in my comfortable home and things <laughs> right. are good. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying that, right. but that doesn't take away from, from the validity of the perspective. Right. Just because I couldn't see it. If there was a gun to the back of my head at the moment, doesn't mean that my perspective is false now and true then. It just, it is where I am now, and I hope to be able to carry this message as I go into the next journey and the next challenge that will, will, ne will inevitably come up in my life to be able to see it in this way. And that if necessary, I'm granted mercy, and during those periods of mercy, I'm able to get exactly the lesson I'm needed, and that I don't need that next level of pain or suffering or anything else. Right. So, now, I th now I feel like it's complete. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Perfect. Thank you.